is Hannah Reeve. I'm the founder of Nature Nurtures, where we help social entrepreneurs, passionate teachers and early years practitioners to set up their own outdoor nurseries and outdoor projects for children around the UK. Here on the road that led us here, I interview pioneers in education about how they built their businesses and the journey that brought practitioners to their role in working with children. Joining me is Claire Caro, the founder of Nature Play. Claire is passionate about education, environmentalism, and how to provide optimum learning connections. She's also the founder of the Pickler Collection, as well as a founding member of the Pickler UK Association. Both of these are incredible resources for those interested in Dr. Pickler's work. The Pickler Collection in particular houses a huge amount of free information on the Pickler approach. So do take a look if you're interested in child development. Claire currently home educates daughter Scarlett and Olivia in beautiful Rutland. Today we are talking about nature play, Claire. Now yours is a, a unique story. Let's start with when did you set up nature play? Well, it began actually about 10 years ago, February 2011. It began after we'd just got back from a trip to New Zealand, so it was a bit of a shock, but it was winter. (laughs) And there we were out in the woods in the cold, all dressed up. Yeah, that's when we started 10 years ago. So you're in your 10-year celebration. So let's start with what is nature play? First and foremost, the physical part of it is getting out into the woods with our children frequently. Then there's a whole sort of structure behind that. And there's a reason why we're out there in the woods and there's a reason why it's frequent. I grew up in New Zealand and I was a nature kid. We had a small hold farm and I was barefoot and out there and exploring and a lot of the time by myself and with my dog and, you know, freedom to roam and freedom to play and just a lot of time spent outside. And my husband grew up in Norfolk and the same for him. He spent a lot of time outside. So we both have this real passion for all things nature and we really value being outside and being outdoors and those childhoods, those childhood memories of being outside and playing freely are really, we value them. So when we had our first child in the middle of London, we were like, oh, no, what are we going to do? We're in a city and we're having children. This is, you know, they're going to totally miss out on that connection with the earth. And so I thought, right, well, how do you tackle this problem? You go outside regularly. So what about every week? Okay, that's it. We're going to go outside spend a day every week in the woods. And then I started to actually structure the framework. It had to be the same spot because when you frequent a place, you start to feel a sense of belonging as well. It's not new every time, so you're more likely to feel comfortable in it. And as a young, early years player, you need to feel comfortable to be able to play freely. Basically evolved from that. So that's so it's having your own children really was the catalyst for this and thinking about your own family culture, which sounds very nature based, you know, outdoors anyway. I think especially coming from a childhood full of wonderful outdoors adventures. I think we've spoken before and I remember we've both said this to one another where we say the childhood memories that I hold dear and I think you do as well are the ones spent outside. That's where we get, I think, real joy as humans connecting with nature in in different ways. With nature play, 
how long did it take you to get from the seed of an idea to actually getting it into something that is, you know, something tangible? Okay, so I came up with the idea when I started looking around to see what was available in terms of baby groups and, you know, parent-child groups. And it just took me forever. And everything that I found was indoors and I couldn't find anything to do with play. It was all activities and crafts and nursery rhymes and, you know, everything else, but nothing that held the space for play. And then I did find something, but it was a good hour drive away on a, you know, Thursday morning and it was outdoors and it had a lot of the elements that I was looking for in a group, yet there was only just a small section of it, which was about 15 minutes of free play. And for me, that wasn't enough because how do you get into doing 15 minutes of free play Really, you know, if you if you know your play stuff, it takes a lot longer than that to feel comfortable. And and even then, then you you might have just got into something and then you've been cut short. So and because it was so far away, it was just too much. So I thought that it would be probably easier for me to start something that was closer to where I was, that had everything that I was needed to set up the optimum environment for play. And so that's what I did. I got in touch with a really good friend of mine who had a child. um, Her second child was three weeks different than um, Scarlett. And so she was on maternity leave. And I said, you know, I've got this idea. Should we, you know, do you want to join me? And she was like, yeah, well up for it. So we would go for quite a few weeks, actually, until she returned to work. And when she returned to work, that's when I thought, okay, I think I've got this sorted I've worked out, you know, from our visits what it was that I needed to put in place. Because it's one thing having the idea, but it's being able to take the idea and then transition it into a practical way and then again to make it for a group. So so it was about probably June, July that I started the Facebook page and I kind of put the word out through the grassroots network and and then people started turning up to these regular weekly groups. What was the aim at this point? Did you foresee this becoming such a big thing? Was that always the goal that you set yourself? No, it wasn't. It was really just to fulfill the time frame because in child development you've got windows of development. And if Scarlett wasn't going to get outside frequently to play you know, I'm talking not doing activities and not being directed, but just have that free time to play and rest and play and rest and do whatever. If she didn't have that within those early years, then the opportunity to bond with nature would have been missed. So that my only real objective was to get in that bonding time that can be done by play outside in that window of opportunity. Lots of people have said this, but David Attenborough has said something like this and a few other people that the only way we will protect the earth is if we care for it. And to be able to care for it, you have to have that bonding with nature, that full experience 
a sensory experience, a connection with nature, and all that time in it to make those connections and that bonding. Otherwise, you know, you cannot bond with nature from inside a room. I liked what you said as well about that sense of belonging that children get from coming to these sessions. Because am I right in understanding that nature play sessions take place in the same place? So they have a particular space. Are they always in a public space or? Uh, yes, I think all the groups are on public land. We need to make the point as well that this isn't just national. This is an international phenomenon. Yeah, uh, Yes, no. there are. there's groups in, well, at the moment, there's one in Singapore, but we have mm -hmm. had them and there's been one in Nelson in New Zealand. Thessaloniki and Greece. I think that's all. It's been 10 years, so it's a little bit harder. That's absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. Not many people can say that to have reached all corners, you know, a lot of corners of the globe is, is like you say, look, ideas are easy. It's all of the stuff that goes into getting something like this put together. So just for those who don't know Nature Play, can you give us an overview of perhaps what a session yes. looks yeah, like. Yeah, okay. Yep. The session, this is the structure, and it really has to be like this all the time because one of the things about free play is that you're holding a space and a time and a place, play to unfold in the child. So you cannot teach this stuff. You cannot direct it, and you cannot coax it really out of anybody. You have to hold this empty space. That's it. So... The structure is really, really important. So it begins with meeting place. So everybody is to meet at a certain time, at a certain particular place. And when everybody has arrived there, you know, giving 10 minutes for people to arrive a little bit later, because we're all busy and trying to make things on time, then we will take everybody on a slow walk into the site where we hold what we call base. And there's some really important sort of reasons for this starting. The first one is that a lot of us as parents, we are rushing. We are finding it very stressful to get somewhere on time. So we have a meeting place and we do give 10 minutes for those people that are struggling. And there's always one. Yeah. There's always yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you never know when it's going to be you either, you know, like, absolutely. yeah. So, and then we take a really, really slow walk. And the, on all of the sites that we've had, the walk has to be a certain kind of length. It can't be too short and it can't be too long because it has to be long enough for everyone to slow down and it has to be short enough that nobody gets tired on the way. And the children who can walk and the children who can't, we ask them to be carried and we go off road. So we ask people to leave the buggies at home and either carry, use a sling. We used to have little talks about sling provisions, you know, like how what good ones to wear and how, how they all work. And that slow walk slows down the parents, but it also is a time of connection. So we go at the slowest pace for the slowest children and we meander along the way and it's time to really just slow down the heart rate and the connection that's made with carrying our children instead of making them walk or them being in a buggy and the only thing that they can see is in front of them rather than their parents or they can see everyone else's knees, you know, that 
the connection time is really, really important. And so then when we arrive at the base, there's always, well, there has been, I'm going to have to say there has been, because with the COVID-19 whole thing, we're having to introduce a different way of doing things. So let me say that previously we've had, the host will always take some tea or in hot climates, some ice drink and a big flask. We ask people to bring a cup and that way they can go around and fill everybody's cup and everyone has tea or a drink at the same time and there's a chance to say hello. We ask people to bring something to sit on. So everyone kind of lays out their things and establishes the base with their things. And there's a time for a snack, just a small snack, so that everyone is eating together, everyone is sharing a drink, everyone is relaxing together, and there's a real time for connection. Those three things, the walk, the tea, and the snacks, are all connecting ways socially. And then we ask, we open, we clear away the snacks, and we open up the space for free play. And some of the hosts have tried this, and it's not uh, sort of something that we do all the time, but it does illustrate the point of how this works a little bit clearer than me just saying we open up the space for play, is that we open up the space by play by being quiet. And all of a sudden, when we stop talking, children start talking, babies start babbling, and the children will get up and go off to play. And we ask that people don't follow them, that they just sit there and are able to support with eyes. And that's not always the case. You know, there's lots of different reasons why children might be more energetic than others or want to run. Also, why us as adults might feel more anxious than others. So we try to hold the space for everybody at a session. but. Basically, it's just open. So we're not helping children climb up trees or pointing things out. We're just remaining quiet on the side and leaving the space open for them to follow their own play urges. And that's for every age. So for the young babies, we start just on the mat next to us. And often they're quite happy just lying and looking up at the trees or finding sticks and using their bodies because play really starts with movement. So before you even start thinking about toys and games and that, they're actually, it's all about finding your hands and your feet and rolling over and crawling. And so we just have the space for these children to do this, this natural play. This is such a unique session for young children because I think there's a lot of groups out there that do have way too much emphasis on product and to me this is something very very special and this is why I wanted to for many reasons I wanted to talk about it on here with you because it's such a valuable thing and I think especially in today's world and in the middle of a global pandemic, where actually we're realising we should be outside, it's good for us in many, many ways. And But how do we do that with children? Because we don't always know as adults how to do this. And nature play is such a unique way. Although it sounds so simple, you put it so simply, these are really hard things. And I think possibly because of the way that 
it sits within our culture how we view children. Yes, and also how we view play. You know, there's a lot of mixed messages about what play is. A lot of children's play things are actually activities. There's a whole sort of approach of that we might need to teach children how to play rather than recognizing that play is actually innate. You know, it's inside the child. It's like the DNA blueprint of development. And that's how we develop is through play. You don't need to teach a child how to develop as much as you need to teach them how to grow teeth. You know, it's just in them. But there's also the other kind of, you know, there's many other kinds of play, but there's one other one that gets people confused. And that is, I think, when we hear messages like, it's really important to get down on the floor and play with our children. Because what we're saying at Nature Play is, please don't play with your children. Please don't lift them up. Please don't entertain them. Just sit there and watch them play. And I think it might help if we just establish that the play that we're talking about, the innate play and the play of getting down on the floor and playing with your child are actually two very, very different things. Play that we're talking about that's um, that we're allowing the time and the place and the space to unfold is the innate play, the play that development happens and the play where you get down and you play with your child. That's actually about relationship. That is about a connection time and independent play. It's not about connection time. It's actually far more developmental. They're equally as important, but they're two very, very different things. So our culture is so confused, just multiple definitions around the word play. It's so easy to get confused. So, But it's so simple because it's all there. All we have to do is create the environment for it to happen. Yet it is so difficult because we are so conditioned to thinking that they need us. And if we're not there lifting them up, maybe we're not doing our bit. Or what do you do when you have to watch them climb something and all you want to do is yell out, be careful? And, you know, what about putting things in their mouths? And shouldn't they be walking before they even start going outside? And, you know, there's all of these huge, big blockages that we can get through. And I think that's one of the nice things that we do with Nature Play in that I've heard people reflecting back to me that coming to the sessions has given them a model for what it actually looks like and how to do it and how to be safe as well as giving freedom for their children to actually, you know, play freely. And then I can see over time as well, this has turned into a huge amount of work because Claire Caro doesn't do things by halves. So I see that out of setting up this small group have come great things, including the guidelines that you set for hosts and the expectations of parents as well, joining these groups, these sessions. So there's something for everyone that they learn and they come together to learn, and they take away so much. How much are you charging for this? How much do people pay for a session? It's free. It's, it's, it's free. free. It's free. Uh, do you know, I honestly thought, you can't charge people for this. <laughs> One, you're going out into nature, which is available to everyone. And two, the play is innate. It's in every child. You can't charge people for 
play that's already in the child for nature which is already there you can't play you can't ask people to pay for something that's already there it's just providing the stage for a little while for it to come out but it's already there it's already there and it's already available and and that's one of the things about the guidelines that we have which are are really there as a a backup because it's quite a lot to get your head around to begin with I guess and and it's nice to be able to read through it before you turn up so you know what to expect. And it's nice to be able to read through it again after you've been for a session to go, what was that that I saw? Oh, and then start to put it all together. But there are a set of guidelines on the website that are not so written for our sessions, but are more general for other people who are wanting to support the innate play in their children in outdoor settings or indoor settings as well. I mean, it doesn't have to be indoor or outdoor, it's innate. So yeah, it's about supporting the play. This is very unique. It's a free model. Okay, let's break it down as an organisation, I suppose, is useful for people to understand because I think it's very inspiring. And as I said, it's very unique. So the structure of this is that you oversee the branding of nature play and the putting together of those guidelines that are really key. You know, I know that there is a backup, but I think they are key to having that, setting that ethos and understanding of the sessions. And then, so then you have hosts. So let's talk about the hosts a bit. Who are they? The hosts are people who have all got in touch with me about setting up a nature play. So we've had, over the last 10 years, we've had 14 groups and I think we have very hard to say how many we've got at the moment because of the whole pandemic but I think there might be four or five at the moment and so each person has got in touch with me about setting up a group and we've gone through an application process with the host the lead host and then any co-hosts as well and then we go through a whole application process about where to host, you know, looking for a venue. But it's really important, I'm going to just put this in here, it's really important that the host is able to do this job and it's quite a big job because if you came along to a nature play session which was about providing the space and the time and the place for a child to follow their own play urges and the host wasn't able to allow their own child to play freely, wasn't comfortable with that and was helping them to balance long logs and getting them out of tricky situations and entertaining them and telling them what to do and encouraging them to go and play with Billy or, you know, whatever, then it would be like going to a bakery and finding a carpenter in the kitchen. You know, it just so the whole thing of being able to have a host who is able to support child-led play themselves is really really important so getting the right person for the job is paramount in this so who do these people tend to be do they are they they're amazing years that's what they are yes they, they are <laughs> they, they are they are because yeah. they're coming to you. I'm so interested in who they do. They have backgrounds in this. They clearly have an interest in a particular parenting approach, perhaps. Yes, yeah, yes, definitely. There are many different people. We've had people who have been primary school teachers, people who are mothers. You know, like rather than having had training, that it's just about 
being a parent on on the job where you've done your training, Montessori trained people, just people who seem to be passionate about nature, passionate about their kids and their children having a connection with the outdoors. Yeah, I just think that people who are really just quite passionate about those things to the point where they want to do something like that. And yeah. I love as well. So these people are coming to you and ultimately they're wanting to do something for their communities. So in terms of how important those people are, because for me, they are the ones who understand their communities very well and they can reach a lot more people than say you or I could if we were to say, here, here's a model for you to, you know, X, Y and Z. With When they are able to have or to host those sessions, using your guidelines and having an understanding of what a session should look like, they're still able to make that available for their community and their context, which is a beautiful thing. Now, a lot of people set up groups to make money. And so you've got people who are coming and volunteering to do this. So they're special in many ways because they're volunteering for their communities. To me, they're also volunteering on a huge scale in terms of parents having access to this different form of attachment parenting that they might have in their minds traditionally. And then also, as you said at the beginning about how we're embedding this time for connection and nature in these very early formative years, which are important. It's just so wonderfully special across. It ticks so many boxes if you wanted to sit down and put it all into a list in a box. Is this something that you foresaw it could end up being in terms of helping communities, supporting communities, and then also sharing these skills and understanding of play? Because you're extremely knowledgeable of play. It wasn't. I never really saw past the immediate what I was doing. I had a very clear vision of what play was, how to provide the environment for it to happen. And I wanted to provide it for my daughter. The community that I have found through setting up Nature Play has been amazing, but I really didn't expect it. But I've found I've met some incredible people and really grown as well, grown in my understanding of child development actually beyond sort of play but really one of the things that I loved the most about setting up nature play and being involved in it physically because I ran the, the group for four years and now I'm more admin and sort of the organization behind everything at the moment but the four years that I was there I managed to hold a culture create hold and maintain a culture where my child was able to be with other children and adults who held the same values around play, development, and respectful parenting, as well as the connection with nature. I mean, what more could you want? It was just, for me, that was amazing. That's like, you know, choosing where you shop or going on holiday to your favorite spot you know it's one of those things that you will do if you find something good you'll do it but I managed to actually make that happen for me but that was what I was looking for in the beginning when you're a new parent you're always looking for something that you align your values to so I managed to create my own community and others have found their own communities and I think it's wonderful that 
a lot of people have got so much out of it themselves. And other people who are willing to give so much as well in similar ways to you. Have you done all of your learning about child development? So, you know, you set up the Pickler collection. Now, did that, is that around the same time as setting up Nature Play when Scarlett was very young? Well, I had a head start on the, I had a head start with everything before I became a parent, actually. But I had a head start on the Pickler, on finding out about Dr. Amy Pickler, because my mum happened to be at the first English training in Budapest 15, 16 years ago. And before I had even thought about having children and she was so excited and was telling me all about it. And I kept on logging things in the back of my brain thinking I will need that for one day, maybe. So I had all this information and I had enough that when I became a parent, I was able to relate to Scarlett in a completely different way beyond what we think of as being normal in our culture. And that was absolutely magic to be able to have this conversation in the care moments and for everything to be really peaceful. And, you know, so nappy changes with a pleasure instead of a crying, traumatic time. They were something that were just phenomenal instead of something you want to rush through. And same with bathing and dressing and going to sleep and waking up. Like the whole thing became this amazing, you know, dream time of being in love with your baby because it was just so rewarding. And then as she got a little bit older, I started to run out of information and I thought, oh my gosh, everything's changing. So I started looking for information and there was hardly anything So I looked harder because in my previous job in film marketing, I'd done quite a lot of researching. So I was good at knowing how to use Google and found all these gems. And then I put together the Pickler collection because I thought, uh, you know, other people might be interested in this. And also people were starting to ask, what are you doing with Scarlett? You know, who would sit very relaxed on my knee while everyone else was tearing about or you know, would go off and play independently and wasn't being needy or demanding or, you know, so we had a very different relationship that people were starting to ask about. And I really attribute my relationship with Scarlett, which was so rewarding for both of us, obviously, to the clues that I picked up upon reading everything I could find about the Pickler approach. That was that And in terms of child development, the more that I know and read widely about other areas of child development and the more I know about what Amy Pickler was doing, I call her a genius. Honestly, like what she was doing was so deep on so many levels, but so simple. You know, every the deeper meanings behind the things that she was doing were so incredible in terms of development of the central nervous system of self-regulation, of all these things. So I would call her a genius. So that was one thing. And that did kind of happen around the same time, but I never kind of put the two together. Nature Play and the Pickler Collection were always very different for me. For me, Nature Play came out of my own experience as a child. I went to something called Play Centre, which started in the 1940s in New Zealand, and it's really based around 
that whole concept of free play. And I was there until I was just short of my sixth birthday. And then I was, didn't start school until I was nine. Another long story, which I won't go into. But so I was really aware that free play was so important to growing our who we are. The thing that really worries me is that child development almost stops what we learn about. It almost stops at school age. As soon as the child enters the classroom, child development doesn't matter. Up until that point, in all the early childhood education, everybody is concerned about getting the best results or the best environment for the best results for the child. And then as soon as they start school, it all goes out the window. Everything changes. So we're going to have another chat about school and about specifically the Education Act. And I think some things that parents should perhaps have more knowledge or understanding of, because I think not even a lot of teachers, I think, have full grasp of it. Anywho, was this something that you could see yourself making a living from? Was did that ever come into your mind as to, or is this something that for you? It worked in your family life and you. it was important for you to have more people accessing this as much as possible. Well, I have done a few workshops and things, but otherwise, in terms of making a living out of it, I don't see how, especially with it being free. So I've kind of been working on something else to do with making a living, <laughs> but it needs to remain free. It has been sort of, you know, like the idea of making it into something functions and serves as some sort of job or something has come up lots of times, but put a price on it, I think would change the whole thing in so many ways. Yeah, it just sits alongside everything else that I do, really. I like how you were talking earlier just now about how so nature play and the Pickler collection or your Pickler learning has been two very separate things. They were. Whereas, they were. They kind yeah. of started to join at one point when I had this epiphany. So the Pickler collection, uh, the Pickler approach is based on three kind of principles. One is the importance, the huge importance of the relationship. So all the care moments Another one is freedom of movement. So that's play and motor development. You can have one without the other, but they work best when they present it together. Something happened, oh, I'm not sure how many years ago, but it was a wee while ago when it clicked for me that the natural motor development, the natural unfolding of motor development, which is something a lot of people know about if they have looked up um, Amy Pickler's work. and play I realized that they were the same thing and I was like oh and, then, <laughs> and at that moment I was like oh that makes so much sense right we are really going to bang that one home at nature play like I don't know why it had taken me so long but you know how sometimes things are right in front of your face and you haven't connected the dots and I was like yes that's it we just need to really nature play aware that it play begins with movement it begins with not helping you know if you start helping your child to sit up and to walk you've already started the habit of being helped where children then find it really difficult to engage in independent play or just engage in play they have to be entertained so actually all of that, it all begins right at the beginning with just allowing time for 
the child to unfold through their body first, through their movement. Yes. Why is Pickler not taught to all practitioners in these early years? I know it is in some childcare settings, or I know that there are some child qualifications that include this. One comes to mind, one of the Steiner trainings, I think there's a Pickler module that's embedded in there. But why isn't this in all early childhood training? Yes, because it, it is reasonably new if you think that... It is, you're right. To, you're it, right. It's been around a long time, you know, like this really was around the Second World War that most of the framework of and the ideas that Pickler came up with was before the Second World War and she wrote a book in 1940 and um, there's a few little... Ex- excerpts of it on the Pickler collection and she already had the whole unfolding natural unfolding of motor development nailed back then but she also had a lot of the relationship respectful relationship thing nailed as well as how we see the child how we relate to the child do we you know throw it around and speak baby to it or do we actually honor the fact that there's a person in there she had all of that sorted really really early on that was in Hungary and it's only really been in the last 10 or 20 well 15 years ago the Pickler Institute in Hungary started their English language training and then that sort of flooded the world a lot but these things take time to grow momentum and they do they do when was the UK Association set up for Pickler? Because that uh, must be going on a little bit it now. It must be with... se- about seven. Oh, only seven. Oh, yeah. It will be about seven years this summer that it was officially launched. Yeah. Right. And, and how many of you did, how many of you put that together? Because there's a few um, founding yeah, members. Yeah, there were a there. few of us. Probably about five, I would say, just off the top of my head. Yeah. And we had been working on it for quite a while before launch back and forth well everybody was in the UK and then we kind of okayed by Hungary so the organization was set up here and then obviously tied in as an official organization to carry the name yeah that was me being nosy I just find it interesting (laughs) how these these sort of grassroots things the only reason I know about Amy Pickler's work is because Magda Gerber took it to Hollywood. <laughs> so she landed in Los Angeles post-war, and that's how we arrived with understanding about natural growth motor development and so forth. I love, right, going back to nature play, I love how, so you went from this idea of these two separate things, you're the picker collation, and then you've got nature play, but actually how you can see this has become so interwoven in what you're doing in these sessions yes it has definitely because if you remember what i just said about the pickler approach having three main principles the relationship the play and then the two together something that became that kind of grew on me after a while and after observing a lot of what goes on at nature play so one of the things that we as hosts do is we learn to observe because that's what we really want the parents to be doing so to be able to model that is really important. So learning how to do it yourself is important. So observing the children at play, observing what comes out of them, that innate behaviour that play is, 
And then while I was observing, you just can't help observing everybody else as well as the group which you're holding together. It became really apparent. There's so much skill involved in observing, isn't there? And but we don't do that comfortably. I don't know if that's a cultural thing as well, because we find as practitioners, they have to learn to observe, even though observing is quite a big part of early years practice. They don't know how to observe. Yeah. Well, what I've learned from talking to people about observation is that that is in the same way that play has a different definition for different groups of people. Observation has a different meaning for different groups of people as well. And But when we're talking about observing at Nature Play, we're really asking people to step back, zip it and watch, you know, and really watch, just watch what's happening, what, not what you think is going to happen, not what you're the story you're making up in your head, like they could fall. That's not what's happening. That is not an observation. That's an evaluation, not the judgment of, oh, that is really good or that is naughty. That's a judgment. And keep your opinions out of it, you know, like, but actually what is happening that you are watching what's happening with their toes, that child wants to take their shoes and socks off, that we're not interrupting with our directions of like, oh, no, you can't take your shoes off or get that away from your mouth. Or in some cases it is necessary, but we invite the adults to observe the difference between a risk and a hazard. Putting a leaf up to your mouth may be a risk, but it certainly is not a hazard. And if it's a risk, then that's really where a lot of learning takes place. And if it's a hazard, then it's our role to step in. There's a lot of learning for each person who is an observer to start observing themselves about what they find is a risk or a hazard. And that is incredibly interesting. And there's so much growth personally to be had. Absolutely. I love the sound of the rhythm of the session, if you want to call it that, I, with the starting with that slow walk. If anybody takes anything away from this, challenge yourself to go on a slow walk with a young child because absolutely is connection and they'll show you something that you would not have seen. They will always surprise you. The other thing to mention is that there's no closing time, there's no finishing time with our sessions. And because they always have their own finishing time. On some days, it's sooner than others, but on other days, on summer days where it's warm, it might be five hours in, you know, there, and you might have three or four families that just be the last ones, and then you slowly walk out and you just feel so full afterwards because there is no rush. You're on a different time plane, I think. One of the things about play is that it's process learning rather than product learning. And that's really, you know, we were talking a little bit before about play activities where you're going to make a tractor or you're going to draw a flower or you're going to craft a frog or, you know, those are all products. And with play, there is no product. It's a process. So you're really starting with a blank canvas and you're letting the children do their thing. And so to have an end time on it would almost be gearing it towards a product in the end. And there's always a, the most beautiful end time 
if you just leave it. And the other thing that I'll add to that is that quite often process learning can look like nothing. You know, what did you do today? Nothing. You can still have a really, really enjoyable time and there not be a product and it feels like nothing and you've had an experience. And actually that experience is something. And that play that unfolded is something. And you might not have known about it before, but it unfolded and you had it and it is something. Absolutely. And I guarantee you those parents will have connected with their child during a time at Nature Play in a much more authentic way than if they'd gone to a messy play, doodah, what's it? Claire, how do people apply to be a host for a Nature Play session? Through the website, there's a little bit on the contact page that talks about, uh, it says something like if you're interested in um, Nature Play or becoming a or hosting a session or something like that, hosting a group. And then that's how people get in touch. And then the application process kind of um, unfolds from there. Why did you trademark it? I trademarked it because at the, at the time it seemed like a really good idea. I had something really unique. And I was like, this is, you know, that would be the next thing to do because I've put a lot of time and thought and I have something that is so unique and I thought right I'll you know that also because I came from a marketing background so that would be obviously the next thing to do now I'm not sure I wish I had actually nature play has become a term yes yeah and it wasn't it wasn't back then do you know honestly when I came up with the name I was so excited because I was like these two words do not go together they sound crazy (laughs) and I thought oh this is brilliant this is brilliant. I've got two words that don't go together and I'm putting them together. That's wonderful. And then all of a sudden, a few years later, everyone was talking about nature play. I was like, what? That's the name of the two words that don't go together. (laughs) (laughs) However, so it is a little bit confusing, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, most people who are using the term nature play are all about getting children outside to play their definition of play may not be right and they might not be connecting with nature because they might be taking lots of toys and man-made materials into the space with them along with activities etc so but at least they're getting outside you know there's so many benefits to being outside so you're you're not sitting there as an intellectual property lawyer <laughs> sending out lots of letters <laughs> no i mean i have asked uh, some people who are obviously putting on a nature play group or calling their group nature play that yeah. you know because it is a registered trademark and yeah. if people were looking for nature play group and they went to somewhere where they were being taken for an activity with, um, you know, craft materials in an outdoor space, it would be the antithesis of what our nature play group that we've, you know, worked so hard to support yeah. is about. It would be like, oh, I don't know, turning up to McDonald's when you're expecting a Michelin star restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I think, but that's also the point of of a trademark, isn't it? it? It's to avoid that confusion. I think it was a very sensible thing to do personally, and I'm glad you did it. It does offer some protection for this 
and this phrase that just come about, whereas actually this is something so much more. Now, you mentioned earlier about nature play leading on to other things. Can you tell us about that? Well, yes. So I guess one of the things that came about from hosting nature play is that you get to see how children learn naturally and how they learn naturally in different environments and what kind of environments create different types of learning. So when school time came around, when the school age came around for Scarlett, it just did not seem like the wisest idea to pop her in a classroom and take away the natural learning for being taught. And I think we really need to understand that learning is so much more than being taught. And as I mentioned before, that whole thing of uh, child development, caring about that and making sure that the environment's just right for it, all of a sudden stopping at school age. Play is so important in the early years. And then as soon as a child enters the school gate, play becomes a break from learning. You know, it just, it's a whole paradigm shift. And it's this whole school, mainstream school culture is, it's really starting to stand out like a sore thumb. And I think a lot of parents from what I've been reading have found that they've realized that school really isn't such a great fit for their family since the pandemic has happened. It's become a little bit more obvious. So we decided not to do the whole school thing. And so we've been home educating with a real focus on continuing learning as it happens naturally and providing the environment for that to happen, which obviously is not just being out in the woods. It's about being involved with life and mm. experiences and then providing time for those impressions and experiences to be processed by the child and mm -hmm. that's so yeah I've really looked into learning and unpacked all the different kinds of learning and then sort of put it together in a way that I find easier to understand so that I can provide the opportunities the the means you know the the utensils for all of that learning to actually happen naturally. The project is called the Authentic Learning Environment and it looks at how learning happens naturally and the sort of the tagline is bringing learning to life which is um, it's really about living life and learning because you don't actually need to go to school into a school system to do all of that learning. A lot of it happens naturally. Uh, we are by nature thirsty for learning and it is a really strong drive unless it's killed. So it's about nurturing the drive for intrinsic learning. And yeah, so I've, I've sort of been putting a few ideas together and hopefully launching when the time is right and groups can get back together again, launching something that is for children of school age. Yes, 100%. There are so many people now looking for other ways. A lot of the outdoor settings that we've been talking with, they've had a huge increase in their school-aged children, particularly in that four to 
five, six-year-old bracket. We've seen this as well at our kindergarten in Worcester. That little pioneer group has grown exponentially and, and we've got a waiting list for it now. So this comes at the best possible time, I think. And because I think the work that's going to need to be picked up during now, from now through the rest of the journey with this global pandemic, is a focus on children. There's a lot of work to do and it's huge. Yeah, I was just thinking about this this morning. We pop children into school with the idea that they're going to come out with all the tools for being successful, yet anxiety and mental health issues are on the rise in people who have had a lifetime of education. So what about education for well-being rather than education for success and jobs? So it's really, I think, the whole education system really needs to go under the microscope a little bit. And you know, I'd really love for the word learning just to disappear from the equation for a minute because it's not about learning. It's about the way that we teach. It's the teaching and it's class groups, the one size fits all. So the big question is, what are we learning if somebody keeps trying to teach us something that we don't want to do or teaching us against our will? You know, there's so many big questions and no wonder you know, they all have an, a, an effect on us mentally. So no wonder there's a mental health problem attached Absolutely. to it. It sounds very exciting, next steps. Mm. Well, I guess it's not able to operate at the moment in no, the UK. No, in Singapore either. So everything is on hold and kind of got a few things. Already our groups were small and in the groups that were more popular, in numbers, we had already been imposing, like capping numbers so that the numbers were small for a couple of reasons. One was that our impact on the environment that we were visiting every week, that makes a big difference, the number of people that are there every week. And the other is that the larger the group, the more overwhelmed the children uh, and often the adults as well. So everyone is able to mingle, feel comfortable and relax a lot easier when the group numbers are smaller. So we already had that in place, but we've knocked it down a little bit more as well, just to be safer. So what's that down to? Um, so now it's 15, although some, I think some groups have chosen to go a little bit lower. Again, it kind of, it's within the restrictions, but with what each host feels comfortable with because at the end of the day as hosts we have to feel comfortable with the situation that we're holding because if we don't feel comfortable then that kind of has a roll-on effect of other people picking up on our uncomfortableness it's, it's this thing of like if you're on an airplane and the air hostess looks worried you're gonna be worried as yeah. well <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So we have to feel comfortable with everything as well. We'll see what happens when everything, but there's so many benefits to being outside. That's the thing. So yeah, it'd be nice to. Hopefully, who knows, it would be nice to be able to have a summer outdoors. I know that that's a big focus for us this year. It, who knows, it'd be interesting. So I hope people have enjoyed hearing about nature play and appreciate so how unique this is it's free it's a wonderful 
experience for parents and children. But I think also thinking about this from a practitioner point of view, because we have a lot of practitioners listening, when you have something special like this, the amount of self-learning that you can do just by spending this time and researching, I honestly would really encourage people to have a look at Claire's website. You can Google Claire, Claire Caro, Claire, C-L-A-R-E and Caro, C-A-R-O, and also have a look at the Nature Play website. The guidelines are very, very good. And I think will give people an idea of exactly what these sessions look like. I think we've had a really good insight from Claire giving us an outline what they are and beautiful absolutely beautiful thank you so much for joining us today claire good luck with the next project thank you very much thank you